This morning, I'm going to read uh, our scripture passage for today, which is John 3, 1 through 3. You guys can follow along on the screen. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is the living word of God for us today. Thanks, Kiri. Rob mentioned to you last week <laughs> that uh, I'm going to be uh, going on sabbatical here. First part of October um, through the middle part of November. And um, a few things I want to say about that, if I may. The first, um, may I say on, for Lisa and I, uh, we are so grateful. I mean, just beyond words, grateful for the opportunity to unplug, you know, refresh. Um, we know that everybody doesn't get, get that <laughs> to do that. And so we cherish it. It is a, a, a huge gift. We'll be, you know, I pray reflecting on not just what God has done in, in our lives and our lives, but what we'll get to envision him doing in the future. Secondly, I want you to know this. I'm the seventh staff member within the last two years to take a sabbatical. Now, you don't know because not everybody's as visible, you know, as, as Rob or I would be, but I want you to know that because uh, this is at the direction of your elders, who said, no, those, when you've been serving this long, you're going to take a sabbatical. And so I'm the seventh one to do that. And uh, I hope you feel the care of the elders for a staff um, is the care of the elders for a body. And so I, I want you to feel that, as, I hope, as deeply as I do. Um, third, <clears throat> my son sent me an article. It was a podcast. He sent it to me on, uh, I think it was Friday, he sent it to me. He said, they didn't listen to this. And it was a podcast, and it's about pastors being driven from ministry or pastors leaving the ministry. And it's just been a massive spike in those in pastoral roles leaving the ministry over the last three to four years. And uh, it, it, it's all borne out in a sense, you know, rooted in a lot of the COVID issues that, that churches have gone through, trying to walk that fine line and COVID, COVID protocols, what's right, what's wrong, we, you know, and just leading a body in that. And then, of course, quite frankly, the, the politics, the partisan politics that is, that's in churches, you know, it's just um, uh, very disruptive. Um, a lot of painful sideways energy can get unleashed in congregations, you know, staff teams and elders and what's led to, a, to, to really a, an exodus, many have said. Um, I've, I've, I, I want you to know that has, by God's grace, that has not been true here. And I'm, I and we are so grateful, we together should be so grateful for that, you all, that um, we've not experienced that on a, in a congregation, and we haven't experienced it at a staff level, nor have the elders experienced that. I've said so many times over the last two years, really, and I, I say this in private settings and public, by God's kindness to us, uh, as a church, as a staff team, as an elder board, um, it's never been healthier. I, I, and I've been here a long time, and I'm talking, it's never been healthier by God's grace and kindness. And um, I attribute much of this to Rob Sweet, 
And I want you to know that, and I hope, I hope you sense that, boy, as time progresses after Rob, you know, over these years has stepped into his role as lead pastor, what a gift to our body that Rob is. I, I agree. I mean, I feel it. I feel it tremendously. Thank, uh, you know, he's just an amazing man of God, and I'm glad I get to serve with him. I'm, I'm saying all that to say, y'all, I'm not slinking into a sabbatical exhausted or discouraged or overly tired. I mean that. You know, I'm getting to step into this season in a place where I'm like, I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm excited for what God has, has done, what, what I get to do, what Lisa and I get to be a part of is this community of faith. So I want you to know that. A final reason I am so grateful that I'm stepping into this sabbatical at this time has to do with the text I'm teaching. So we've come to a part of John's gospel and a super familiar story. But this story, if we get it, is going to make us as uncomfortable as the main character in the story, Nicodemus. Um, we, if, if, if we appropriately understand why John put this here and what he's saying, it's going to stretch the limits of our own understanding. Um, it's going to stir, I, I pray it does, in many, a tremendous level of uncertainty. It's going to make a mess. And I'm going on sabbatical. So I'm like, I'm, I'm going to leave it. You guys can figure this out after I'm gone. With that, we're in John chapter 3. John 3, 1 through 21, it's one unit, it's one story. But Rob and I said, there's no way we move through this in 35 minutes. And so we've broken it into two parts. And so I've got part one today here in John. And again, it's all 1 through 21, but I'm going 1 through 15. It's in this section of John that we find two of the most familiar refrains in the Bible. The first one Carrie read a moment ago, unless one is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Born again. Like, that's a phrase that you don't have to be in church to be somewhat familiar with. And quite frankly, whether in church or those outside church, born again carries a lot of baggage. It's widely misunderstood. There's a second part of this story, and it's not a text as much as it is an address. John, John 3.16, right? It's, the, it's John 3.16. It's the one we, we remember. It's the one, again, whether you're in church or you're not in church, um, you, you're familiar with that verse, even if you're not familiar with the words themselves. And again, that can be widely misunderstood. Today, I'm going to take us through verse 15 in preparation for what Rob's going to do next week as he picks up John 3, 16, and all the weight that it holds. In this way, if, you, if you're looking at your watch, you're going, wow, that was a long time of worship and prayer. Well, it was, because we did all in the front, because I'm going to end us today rather abruptly and this message will end in, a, in, in, you know, in 20 minutes, 20, 30 minutes or so with a to be continued. <laughs> and, then, and then I'm going to invite you to sit with this text. 
all week. And when we come back together next week, that's when we will sense the resolution. I'm not going to resolve it today. That's when we will see the resolution. And we're going to do something next week we've never done. And so I hope that you do not miss it, uh, the way that we'll answer the question I leave you with. So with that, if you're at John chapter 3, I'm actually going to have you start three verses above verse 1 of chapter 3. I got to end where Rob, where Rob ended last week. We got to pick that up because if we don't, then we'll read this Nicodemus story in who knows what kind of a light. But if we'll grab those three verses, you all, then there's the guardrails. And based on this, here's what we need to understand about the Nicodemus story. Here's how we interpret it. And here's how we apply it. So look with me. Here's where Rob left us last week. Verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem, at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. Stop right there. When we read that, I hope we go, oh my gosh, John's purpose statement in John 20, verse 30 and 31 is, I've put all this stuff together so that you will believe in Jesus and have life. And so when we read this, oh my goodness, at the Passover feast, many believed in his name. Yes, it's like the purpose is being fulfilled. But then verse 24, contrast word, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. Now, why do I read this? Because I want you to note before we get into our story, Jesus knows that there is a measure of belief that is not belief. I mean, all these people believe, they saw the signs, they believed. And Jesus knows, that's not the belief I'm looking for. That's not the belief that will save you. There is a type of belief, this is going to be a lot of what Rob's covering next week. That's no belief at all. I'll say it in a few different ways, and this is very sobering. All believers are not believers. All Christians are not Christians. Everyone who goes to Fellowship Bible Church, who's in this room now, who's online, is, is not a Christian. There, I, there's, we're not 100% everyone's a Christian. And, I, and if, you're, if you're not, but you're here and you're, you're looking, I'm so grateful for that. There, but there are some in the room and online, like you would say to me, Lloyd, I'm a Christian, but Jesus perhaps would say to you, no, you're not. So look at how the text begins, because we've got to read the text in this way. I'm going to have you read verse 1 with me, but, but I'm going to pick up verse 25, because in the original Greek, there's no chapter break. There are no verses. It just flows. So here's how we go into our story. Remember, it says in verse 25, and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now do you see how that sets our story up? We can't read this story of Nicodemus like, yeah, there was this Jewish guy, and it's, you know, he, he didn't know Jesus. Went. No, no, no. John has placed this story in such a way to say, there's belief that's not belief. There's people who say they believe in me, 
They, they do things, whatever, but they don't believe in me. They're, they're not saved. They're not regenerated. Let me tell you about a man. His name's Nicodemus. Do you see that? So now we're looking at Nicodemus with that lens upon us. It's the story of a man who had a flawed, incomplete faith. It's, he, he's, 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 we'll see in a minute, he's not in the kingdom. And by the way, I think what's so appropriate for us in particular is this man, he's not a prodigal. You know, he's not way off the reservation. He's not spouting a bunch of false doctrine per se. He's not a swindler, a liar, a thief. He's not even, he's not an atheist that's spurning God. This is a godly man. So if, if we in the room or online, if you're kind of going, yeah, Lloyd, but I know I'm a Christian. This is who he's talking to. <laughs> Y'all, he's talking to me. He's talking to me, the one who's teaching today. This man, Nicodemus, three things we know here. He's a Pharisee. That's the strictest um, sect of Jews. He's, that would be one who took an oath before three witnesses that they would spend their life obeying every word in God's word. In other words, he's a law keeper. He's a ruler, which meant he was a, a member of the Sanhedrin. This is 70 men who ruled the whole religious and social life of, of Israel. It, I mean, our only close thing would be he's on the Supreme Court. I mean, this is where the rulings happen. And then it's in verse 10, but I'm going to grab it. Down there, Jesus looks at him and says, you're the teacher of Israel. Definite articles there. Not you're a teacher. He looks at this man and says, you're the teacher. <laughs> like, like you're the number one ranked professor in theology. So the story's for us. And I hope, I hope we feel that. John's drawing a line in the sand right here, you all, to say, if you're on this side of the podium, you are not in the kingdom. I don't care what you say, how you live, that you know the Bible, that you're a, a teaching pastor, that you, whatever. You do all the right things. If you're on this side, you're not in the kingdom. It's only those who are on this side who are in the kingdom. And we're standing here at this going, well, what's the line? What's the line here? And Jesus gives us that line. Three parts to the text. I just picked three words to hold, uh, hold this segments together. Verses one through three is necessity. Four through eight's mystery and nine through 15's picture. So th those are just placeholders. Necessity. Look at the necessity, verses one through three. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs unless, unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, I'm, I'm sure we don't have the full text of their conversation. But what John has given us is, it kind of makes me laugh, really. Because Nicodemus has come to Jesus very respectfully 
and even complementary, has he not? And uh, I think, you know, I'm, I'm codependent, so I know how I would have responded. And I think in the South, you know, you would think Jesus might have responded, well, thank you. That is so kind of you to say that. You know, you, you know just some, some measure of that. And it's like he comes and says it, and then bam! Do you feel the abruptness of this? He, he, he says this to Jesus, and then Jesus looks at him and basically says, you know, let me tell you the truth, Nicodemus. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. And you go, what? I got to feel Nicodemus says, what just hit me? Let me ask you this question. This is not a trick question at all. Did Nicodemus come to Jesus and ask him, how does one get into the kingdom? Did he? Like, let's speak, he did not ask that question. But Jesus gave him that answer. So you go, what is going on? And you think back and you go to chapter two, at the end of it, it says, Jesus knew what was in every man. And so while Nicodemus didn't ask the question, what did Jesus know? It was the question of his heart. By way of application, when you ask Jesus a question, when you're pleading with Jesus about something, or, or God, you know, God the Father, when you, when, when you bring something to, to God, whatever you bring, pay attention to what God says back to you. What we, Lord, what do you mean? I mean, you know, we're mature enough to, to, to know in this way. Pay attention to what the Holy Spirit is prompting in you. So, you know, if you, if, what, what words of, what part of God's scripture is he bringing to you? What's he bringing to your mind? What does God seem to be saying to you by the person of the Holy Spirit in you based upon his word? You see what I'm saying? And pay attention to that because your question may not be the right thing to ask. But I assure you, what God says to you is precisely what your heart needs. The kingdom of God is God's rule and God's reign. The kingdom of God is God's rule over his people in his place. John will not use the phrase the kingdom of God a lot. He uses it here and he uses it in chapter 18. What John will use instead of the kingdom of God, rule of God, the people of God in relationship with God, what, what John will use is this term eternal life. We're talking about the same thing here. He, he's speaking of life with God, in relationship with God, eternal life, not just in terms of time, it goes forever, but eternal life when Jesus says, and I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. So it's not just the time aspect, it's the quantitative quality of life that we have in Christ when we're in relationship with God the Father. That's the kingdom of God. Every Jew believed that they were in. <clears throat> I mean, if you were blasphemous, blasphemous and vile, perhaps not, but if you were Jewish, as a Jewish mind, and this is Nicodemus, would understand we're, we're in this present day, but there is an age to come. And when the age to come gets here, Messiah Christ, the anointed one, will come and rescue us. 
and save us and set all things right. So if you're a Jew, you, you believe because you're a Jew, you will be in the kingdom. Are you with me? So Nicodemus has every reason to believe that he's in the kingdom. In particular, as a Pharisee, if the common lay person, Jewish lay person, you know, was struggling, you know, with, I don't know if I've done it all. I don't know, I don't know that I've done enough. I assure you, the Pharisee, Nicodemus, he's done it all. He's kept it all. Every jot and tittle for him, he's done. And yet, if we understand this story, this man who of all people should be in, so to speak, he was in the darkness of the very night he stood in spiritually. Even though the light was standing right there in front of him, he's lost. And here's what's important. The reason he's not in the kingdom made no sense to him. It's like, it, this is incomprehensible that I'm, that I'm not in the kingdom and that you're saying you must be born again. This makes no earthly sense whatsoever. He's telling, to, to, to Nicodemus, Jesus has just said something that is literally impossible to do or to happen. He only had one category, and we see it in verses four through eight. This is the mystery, okay? The necessity is you gotta be born again. Here's the mystery. Look at verse four. It says, Nicodemus said to him, how, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless, there's, here's necessity again, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. See the kingdom of God, enter the kingdom of God, same thing. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Let me say something about that. That which is, it's not flesh. When Paul speaks of flesh, he speaks of our fallen nature, Jesus here speaking of that which is human produces human. That's what he's saying. That which is human produces human. That which is spirit produces spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, here's the necessity again, y'all. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now keep your eyes on the text for a minute. I just want you to note this. He began with, unless one is born again, that's verse three. Verse five, he, he says, you gotta be born of water and the Spirit. Got it? And then you go all the way down to verse eight. He says, you need to be born of the Spirit. Let's, you know, paying attention to that, we go being born again, being born of water and the Spirit, and being born of the Spirit are the same thing. We're, see what I'm saying? So we can, we can begin to understand, well, what does this mean? Well, we, all three, he says it three different, three different ways. 
Nicodemus has no category for born again other than babies popping out of the womb. It's like Lisa and I have been binge watching midwives, called midwives. You know, it's like, I mean, there's two or three of those babies popping out of there. You get those of you who are fans of the show, and it's like, who gives their babies to let them do that? Because those babies are brand new. They come out all slimy and bloody, and it's like, oh my goodness. And so for, Nic- for, for Nicodemus, I want you to think about it. That's the picture he had. I mean, literally, I mean, it, it's birth. He goes, born again. I'm an old man. You're telling me I go back into the womb. And, see, that's the category that he had. And he totally was missing it. The word translated again is the Greek anothen. It carries three, but really we're going to focus on the two primary meanings of this word. That word again means, and it's translated in other places, from above. Be born from above. And then it also means uh, completely renewed, like a radical renewal. So from above and completely anew. I, I want to suggest when we get into this passage, and I'm going to get a little deeper here in a moment, that the, the weight of our text is on the idea of being born from above. Now it includes the radical renewal, but when he speaks of the spirit here, you notice three times in that, in that section I just read, it's of the spirit. He's saying, unless you're born of the spirit, where's the spirit? The spirit's from God. So, so, so something has to happen. God has to do something to born you, <laughs> to, to, that you might be born again. See, that's the focus. So really, the, 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 we could read it as, unless you're born from above. This begins to make more sense, and it certainly aligns with the text itself. Countless papers and commentaries have wrestled with what does he mean when he says in verse 5, you must be born (coughs) of water and the Spirit. Well, I've already noted this, and I'm trying to, you know, grammatically, or in the text itself, I'm trying to keep us on this. To be born again, to be born of the water and the Spirit, to be born of the Spirit, these are all one thing. We're not talking about all these three. They, they, they interpret each other. Born of water and the Spirit. There's, there's, I mean, I read just so many articles on where people have gone with this, whether it's born of water, i.e. a woman's water breaks. So you gotta be born physically, then you gotta be born spiritually. There's really no basis for that in any um, Greek or Hebrew or, or, or cultural descriptions where a woman's water breaks and that's, that, that's not how they viewed things at all. Some say it's the water of baptism. He's tying back to John's baptism. You gotta be born of water in baptism. I don't think it's that either. I think our best clue to what is this born of water and spirit comes actually from the text itself. And I'll say it this way. Jesus expected Nicodemus to know what he was talking about. Like when he said born of water and spirit, he fully expected Nicodemus to go, oh, okay. Why do I say that? Verse seven, do not marvel. College professor Nicodemus, don't act surprised at what I'm saying here. Verse 10, I already cited it. We'll read it in a minute. He says, are you the teacher, the definite articles in the Greek. Are you the teacher? <laughs> and, and you're the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these. In other words, Jesus, Jesus, does this make sense? Jesus' expectation is, you would, Nicodemus, you know this. Well, the only way Nicodemus would know this 
is if it was in the Old Testament. Because I'm going to tell you something. Every Pharisee knew the Old Testament in ways that would freak you out. I mean, they would be on some reality, could be on a reality show because they know every line, every phrase. They, they know the Old Testament. And the passage that I do think this refers to and others as well comes from Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 to 27. I just want, I put it up on the screen, but just listen. God is speaking through Ezekiel and God back here in Ezekiel's time is talking about this future time when Messiah's gonna come and establish the new covenant. He's gonna write his law on their hearts. He's gonna give them a new heart. He's gonna cleanse them from all unrighteousness, okay? So he's writing about that future time of when Messiah comes. And listen to how he spoke. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Just at the text it's level itself, do you see clean water, washing and regeneration and the spirit all working together? And is it not Jesus who's gonna say later, if you drink from me, out of you will flow rivers of living waters. And then John says he was speaking of the Holy Spirit. Such that we can say, unless one is born of water, that is the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? I think it makes sense of the text and the passage. I think it's consistent with the whole of salvation and scripture. To be born again, to be born anew, is to undergo a radical and complete change that comes from above. You cannot produce it. It comes from above. God, by his Holy Spirit, does a, a transformation and a change so utterly transforming I mean, the only thing I can even compare it to is you're born <laughs> anew. <laughs> and that's what Nicodemus could not get his head around. Perhaps, you know what? I suspect the breeze hit him right then, like <clears throat> through the night. And they felt a cool breeze hit him. And Jesus maybe at that moment said, the wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So, so it's like he looked at Nicodemus and said, oh my gosh, you feel that breeze? Ooh, it feels so good. Those who are born of the Spirit are like that breeze. You don't know where the wind originates. You're not sure where that swirl is going, but you cannot deny the reality that it just hit you. That's what, it, that's what it is to be born again. There's a mystery. The mystery is not that you must be born again. He's gonna call that an earthly thing in a minute. To be born again is like, this is elementary. This is you know, this is the basics. This is where it all starts. There's no mystery here in born again. The mystery, the mystery is why is anyone saved? That's the mystery. 
I, I've told you my testimony. I've told you when I came to faith in Jesus. You know, I'm an 18-year-old. I'm sitting in my room, and I read this tract, and I believed. And, and I've said to you before, I've read that. I've, I've heard the gospel. I had heard the gospel before. Why, at that particular moment in time, did it make sense to me? Is it because I was smart? Is it because I'm smarter than other people? The Spirit blew at 105 Stone Mountain in a way I cannot understand, and I knew. It's like I saw. <laughs> how, how do I explain that? That's a mystery. And it's the same for you. It's not because you're bright and smart and you studied theology. Oh my gosh, I, fig I finally figured it out. This is what happened. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He was buried. It's, no, no, no. It, it, you're incapable of saving yourself. It's only when the spirit, we sang this song, moves mysteriously and opens eyes. And I trust the spirit's doing that all the time. Even as I'm teaching this morning, the necessity the mystery. Uh, he gives a picture. Let's just grab this last part, the picture. Nicodemus is so confused. How can these things be? I, I, I so get where he is. How in the world can this happen is what he says. And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness of what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. I'll pause there. Who's the we? We don't know. Um, some hold that it's the Trinity, Father, we, Father, Son, and Spirit, and, and certainly it could be. Some have proposed it's the disciples, which I would not hold to that simply because the disciples are not here yet. <laughs> We're going to read about the disciples. Uh-uh. They don't get it. So it's not, I don't think it's the disciples. The other possibility is, you remember Nicodemus when he came? He came to him and said, Rabbi, we know, da-da-da. And it could be that Jesus is going, we know. <laughs> you know, coming, coming, coming back at him. We don't know for sure. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? It's this sense, not sure here on this one either, but there's a sense to which to be born again, what that means, that's so simple and plain. There's much more, and he's saying, you, if you can't get this, how can I help you understand this, the other, there more that's heavenly? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Uh, the, the, the words here that you might put on these is he descended, that's his incarnation, Jesus descended, became incarnate, became human. He's, he's going to, after his resurrection, ascend. So he's going to go back. I think the best way we understand this is to simply, you know, it's to say, Jesus is saying, um, the things I'm telling you, Nicodemus, I live where those things originate. <laughs> like, I come from heaven. I, you can trust what I'm saying, I'm not making this up. I assure you this is what I know, but you're not receiving what I'm saying. And then, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up 
that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now stop there because I want you to see this. He started off saying you must be born again to, be, to see the kingdom, to be in the kingdom. And now he says to have eternal life. Do you see that the king, we're talking about eternal life? He's talking about life with God. For Nicodemus, he's not in, by the way. You know, if, if, if the other side is in, Nicodemus is on this side. He's always thought he was in. He came to Jesus on this side going, hey, man, we've heard you're really good. I think God is with you. And God puts him over here and says, you're not even in the kingdom. So, you know, his world is reeling. And now God, Jesus has said something that is literally impossible to be done. In his, that can't happen. And yet Nicodemus has done everything right to be in the kingdom. And Jesus is removing all sense of that we can do anything to secure our salvation. Because if anyone could, he could have, he didn't. He's so far from the kingdom. Not until a person recognizes their utter hopelessness, the impossibility of getting into the kingdom, of getting into relationship with God, of going to heaven on their own. Not until you person gets to that place like, I can't, I never, that is impossible. I can't be saved if it depends on me. When a person gets to that point, oh my gosh, you're right on the verge of belief. See? When you're bankrupt of your own efforts. So with his plea, how can these things be? I really think <laughs> he's on the verge of entering the kingdom. Jesus says, let me tell you a story that you know, Nicodemus. He knew this story inside and out. And some of you do. The people of Israel, God has, God has redeemed them, y'all. This is the people he has redeemed from slavery and bondage, picture of our own salvation in Egypt. And he's leading them through the wilderness. And they just get tired and frustrated with God. And so they complain. And they say, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food, no water. And then this phrase, and we loathe this food. Like that's what the text says. Do you remember what the food was that they were loathing? What was it? It's hard for us, isn't it? At least hard for me, and I think for me, it's hard not to jump ahead. It's hard not to jump ahead and get out here where we'll go in John when Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And the bread your father say, that was me. Oh my gosh. We loathe it. Mm. And we do. And we do before we are in the kingdom. Well, in judgment, God sent serpents among them that bit them with a toxic, lethal 
fight. I mean, this is creepy. This is kind of like in a movie, like Indiana Jones or something. I was, I was with Gid Fox two years ago at Brentwood Country Club, and there's a stone wall of a bridge. And Gid said, Lloyd, last week I counted 15 snakes crawling out of there. It was spring, and I never go by that bridge ever, ever now. It's sickening to me. <laughs> but can you imagine serpents among the millions? And they're dropping like flies. And they cry out to Moses, call on God. We should not have said that. You know, they repent and they say, have God remove the serpents. Get rid of the serpents. And God instructs Moses to make a bronze serpent. You guys, the, 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 you know, it's kind of the medical thing, the bronze thing. And he said, put it on a pole and hold the pole up. And anyone, if they will look on the bronze serpent, though they've been bitten and though they're dying, will live. He had to look at the bronze serpent. Don't you know there were some who said, that is ridiculous. I'm serious. Come here, give me that tourniquet. I can fix this myself. I'm serious. I think there were those who did not look, chose not to look on the serpent. I want you to notice in the story, the solution was not to get rid of all the snakes. The solution was for God to make a provision for the snake bitten that would require, shocker, belief. He made a provision that would require faith. I'm going to trust when I look on it. There's nothing magic in it, but I'm going to trust what God said. So God said, look upon it and you'll be healed. I'm going to, and those who did were healed. Jesus says in the same way that Moses lifted up, and that's an important word there, lifted up. And we find in John lifted up. Yes, it'll refer to the ascension, but it refers to the cross, his body lifted up on the cross. We'll see it throughout the gospel accounts, lifted up. So he says, in the same way that Moses lifted up the serpent, the son of me, Jesus, I'll be lifted up. And those who look upon this savior in faith, right? There was not, I, you know, you've got to believe, there's not a snake-bitten Jew who knew how this worked. But they could trust what God said and believe. There are two musts in, in our story, two musts. You must be born again. That's it. It's not go to church, quit drinking, go home, get a job, pay. You must be born again. The other must in our text is, Jesus says it, I must be lifted up. There was no stopping the cross. That's how much God loves us. And indeed, Jesus was lifted on the cross. 
How many of us are snake bitten? All of us, every one of us. The most important question is are you born again? And this message is to be continued. And you do not want to miss next week. Let's stand together. I really want this question to be on your minds all week. And you might go, Lord, I know I'm good. Let's just keep this on our, our, on our minds all week. Am I born again? There, there's, there's no more important question in life. We'll answer it next week and we'll do it individually, but we'll do it corporately in a, in a, in a very special way. When I dismiss you in a moment, there will be people up front to pray with you. And perhaps in that prayer time, something crossed your mind and you thought, man, I'd love somebody to pray with me. So know that there will be people here and here that you can come up and they will pray with you. With that, may the Spirit of God blow upon us, over us, around us, and in us that he would open our eyes to see not just what it means to be born again, but to know that by, by God's grace, I am born again. This is our prayer and our plea, Father. Be pleased to hear us. Amen. And God bless.